I'm so glad you're here. Uh, some of you I haven't seen, I feel like I haven't seen in a while, and so welcome back if you haven't been here, and if you're new, we're really thrilled you're here. Um, got a couple things just before we get going. Last week, uh, we finished off on Pentecost Sunday our 10 days of fasting and prayer, and I invited you, some of you are going, oh yeah, um, I invited you that if you had a testimony of somehow God either met you during that time or stirred something in you or gave you a promise or invited you to pray or step out in a new way, uh, I'd give you an opportunity for a, a testimony in that. And so that we can, uh, this is going to be on film, so you don't want to share about your neighbor, you know, by name. Uh, you probably want to uh, speak in code a little bit if you need to, honor confidentiality, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I wondered... Uh, if you had something you would like to share, and I'm going to invite you just so you can be on camera and be on, for those who are live streaming at home, uh, we'll have a microphone here for you. But uh, why don't we pause? Just you, you be thinking, okay? I'm going to pray. You think. I'm going to pray. And you'd be asking, is there something I, uh, I could share of just how God met me during those 10 days? God, today we gather in your name. It says that you love those who trust in your name. And today we gather, we, we think about um, what we are as a community and, and who we are as followers of you and believe that it, it uh, all comes back to your promise over our lives. Who you are, of who you are, your character, your trustworthiness. Uh, I, I think uh, this morning, like any morning, we all come from very different places. Some of us are, are feeling filled with faith, and some of us are feeling filled with doubt. Um, all of us have needs, all of us are broken in places, and we stand in need of your touch and your life and your mercy. Lord, we prayed and we've been asking and been looking for you to do um, uncontainable things in our lives and in this church. Uh, and in our world, would you do that today through us, we pray. And Lord, if there's testimonies that need to be shared, I pray you'd open our mouths, and uh, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Not going to give you a lot of time, so uh, I'd love for you to just come on up if you have something to share, um, and no pressure if you don't. We'll just give this a couple minutes. Yeah, I think you can stand right there. Let's, go. Let's look at the camera. Just right up there. Just look at those guys. I totally forgot that we were doing this. So this, <laughs> so this is off the cuff. <laughs> but I just want to praise God, as most of you have been praying for me, and I thank you for that. Because God answers prayer. And uh, he has blessed me uh, above and beyond. Um, I can't believe, um, after what I went through... Um, that I have such the peace of God that passes all understanding and, uh, and the joy of the Lord. It's just wonderful. And I just can only say I bless, hope the Lord blesses all of you with the peace and the joy that I have because it's wonderful. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. That was worth waiting for. Anyone else? Well, I sort of can echo what Case just said, what the Lord has brought me through this year. But um, during the week that we were fast, the 10 days that we were fasting, um, I decided that I would fast lunch and I would uh, fast no TV after 6 o'clock. And I didn't realize what a stronghold that was in my life. And, um, Wait a minute, you didn't watch Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, none no, of that? No, Miracle. <laughs> and uh, so I went to my den, which doesn't have any TV, and I often pray there. So I went to my den, and I opened up my Bible, and I started praying through the Psalms. I, instead of just reading them, I started praying them, so... Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd. I thank you that you lead me beside quiet waters and you restore my soul. Mm. So I was filled with joy, like Kay said, filled with joy when, wow. instead of just blobbing, you know, wasting my time in front of the TV. So praise God. Give him all the honor and all the glory. Amen. Man, I think Jerry's onto something. If you don't know how to pray and you don't know where to start, start by just actually praying the Psalms. That's, that's such a great primer for prayer, good instruction there. Anyone else? Well, like Jerry, I decided to fast from television. But I have such a routine in the morning. I like to get up, let my little love bird out onto my shoulder. And uh, I like to, to, before I go to work, I always watch the news for about 20 minutes. So that was really tough. I knew nothing about what was going on. But instead, I went into the den and I sat down and my little love bird sat so quiet on my finger and I prayed instead of watching the the TV in the morning. I find it really difficult at night because that's when you kind of, when you've been working all day, you like to sit down and just relax and get away from it all and watch. But I find it was a very advantageous thing to do. It just showed me how important prayer is. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Angel and I fasted from television and uh, it just meant we went to bed at nine o'clock. You know, like... <laughs> What do you want? I don't know. What do you want to do? I'm tired. Are you tired? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, uh, yeah, we fasted, and I was praying that um, God would uh, give me courage to do some of the things that he wants me to do. Uh, sometimes you take the easy way out, and... Uh, and so I, I said, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you lead me. And uh, I found it was, uh, uh, he asked me to do something um, which was out of my comfort zone, uh, to go somewhere and pray uh, with people that he was going to 
lead me into. And uh, I'm like, okay. Uh, but anyway, it, it worked out. The Lord brought the people I needed to pray, but uh, pray with very different, like he would give me pictures and um, scriptures uh, in a very unique way than I have experienced and um, found healing coming for people, um, uh, emotional, uh, grieving. And so um, I felt like I went on an adventure with Jesus after uh, this time of fasting and uh, uh, praying, it just, yeah, felt more power to do what he wants us to do. So, anyway. That's cool. That's really cool. Anyone else? Good morning. Um, so... My story is before the 10-day fasting. Two years ago, I lost my job due to COVID. And I was not employed. My husband was not employed. We needed to get my mother-in-law from, from the States to move with us here in Canada. And you know, in order to sponsor family, you needed to show that you're working. You needed to show that you had the financial capacity to support. Um, whoever you're sponsoring. So uh, we did not have that capacity, but somehow God made a way. Uh, my mother-in-law arrived in Canada on January the 1st, and I'm not thankful about the Ukraine war, but because they are accepting a lot of refugees, we, we applied her as a refugee because really we did not have the means to, to support her, and we just... We just thought, well, if Canada's accepting refugees, why not try to apply her? She's 90 years old, she's a widow, and she has no one else to look after her. So she goes for her interview tomorrow. <laughs> so that's really amazing. It's, it's something that, um, it was really something impossible for God. Mm. And the connection with the 10-day fasting is that I realized I had a lot of blind spots. God just pointed out to me, you're this, you're that, you're that. But God, I'm perfect. No, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. So that was, that was the highlight of the fasting for me. It was, it was, really, it was really an eye-opener. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. There's some truth to that. Uh, fasting uh, is, is, is a journey, uh, and often it opens our eyes to things that are going on in our life that we need to pay attention to. And it's giving space for that, right? And it's not always a pretty experience, it's, but it's, uh, it can be so helpful. Last chance. Well, I, my, uh, one of the things God, you know, I've been on a journey uh, as a pastor these last weeks, and in the 10 days of prayer, one of the things um, God reminded me of, because we're in this building with a mission program, and I have this temptation that I want to carry the church on my shoulders, like somehow that, and uh, it, it can be a it's quite a vulnerable place for me. 
and it can be quite a burden, and it's like I love being a pastor. As I'm going to share a little later, I've been a pastor here at Hillside for 24 years, and most of the time I love it. What I don't love is sometimes when the burden, uh, I, I feel myself taking the burden of the church on my shoulders. So he reminded me during this 10 days of prayer and fasting of something he, he shared with me on a prayer retreat last December, and it was regarding uh, raising funds for our Building with a Mission project. And he, he's like, I told you something, why aren't you praying more specifically into this? So, so here's what he told me, and I'm, I'm just uh, like repeating what I heard from God in a little prayer cabin on Bowen Island was pray for 25 people who would contribute 25000 each to the Building with a Mission project. 25 people who would give 25000 each. And uh, personally, I had never given $25,000 to anything in my life before. Um, and so this, that seemed like an outrageous number to be pray, prayerful of. And uh, during the 10 days of praying and fasting, God put it on my heart again. Pray that God would raise up 25 people who would actually somehow, by hook or by a crook, find $25,000. And uh, I actually, to give. Hooker by crook. Yeah, did I just suggest that you steal, <laughs> rob the government, lie? So no hook, no crook. Um, honestly and generously, after the service, there's police outside waiting for Derwin for inciting crime. Um, and and uh, I actually did the math. So I, like, I actually am not that quick with math. And so I sat there and go, 25 by 25 uh, is 625,000. And so I said to the Lord, Lord, I think it's going to be more than 625. You know, our budget's a million. So I'm praying for three others that would contribute $100,000 each. So, so there might be those in, your, in our mix. And, I, and I, let me just say this before it, it sounds like I'm on a fundraising appeal right in this moment. Um, this is a faith journey for us. And, and I think for some of us, it actually is going to mean stretching and doing something unprecedented that we've never done before. And, and some of you actually could afford to do something unprecedented in this area in your life. You could step out in generosity in a way that would, you've never seen before. Um, and I want to say this, that I, I actually, at the end of the day, don't care whether we raise the money. I care about the kind of church we become. And, uh, and I know this, that this church is a church that cares about the community, cares about one another, wants to be faithful to Christ, wants to learn what it means to be disciples of Jesus and walk with him wherever he leads. But inherently, those kind of people are generous. And uh, so may God give us grace as we respond to his words, uh, his leadings. Um, uh, uh, no, I wanted to say this. Uh, again, uh, every gift matters in God's kingdom. Remember the widow's mite? They were called mites because they were so small, they were pennies, but she gave sacrificially and generously. And so there's some in our church who can afford to give uh, just a very, very little, and there's some who can afford to give a, a very, very lot. And so may God give us grace to discern who we are and to step out in faith in those ways. Amen? Okay. Well, God, we, uh, we, we sought you for 10 days, and we want to say we're going to keep on seeking you. We pray, would you lead us, we ask, in these moments. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. We're wrapping up this uncontainable series this morning, and uh, the theme today is waiting. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I, I hate waiting for food when I'm hungry. I don't like waiting in traffic. I don't like waiting in airports. I don't like waiting in stores. Um, I don't like waiting for the, the, the light to change. I don't, waiting, I don't like waiting for uh, green eggs and ham. I don't like waiting, Sam, I am. Anybody like waiting? Anyone at all? No, I don't think so. Here's the thought that ran through my mind this last week or so, is what if the disciples had given up praying on day nine? Jesus had told them to fast and pray and wait after his ascension. What if they'd given up on day like three or day seven or day nine? I think they might have forfeited the miracle that was right around the corner. I hate waiting, but here's the deal. If you want to experience God moving in your life, if you want to experience God moving in your world, you can't just seek and believe. You've actually got to be willing to wait. Most of us love, I think, quick and easy. But there's usually a season of waiting before something uncontainable from God happens. And I wonder how many God stories are forfeited because we give up too soon. And so learning to wait in our journey with Jesus is just as important as learning to seek and learning to believe. A really instructive passage on this is 2 Peter 3.8. And it says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. I think Peter offers some real wisdom here. We, we tend to be in a hurry. And so when God moves too slowly with us, I, I think we can have the kind of impatience that most of us have when we're driving on the freeway and we're, we're in the fast lane and somebody's ahead of us and they're driving under the speed limits, right? Some of you get the shakes when that happens, don't you? You're like anxious, you're thinking bad thoughts, you're, you know, you're speaking negatively to that person out loud. Um, <laughs> I think some of us are like exactly like that. We get that kind of impatience with God, like hurry up, God, get moving, God. When, when we see and want him to do something in our lives, we're like, we might even cast judgments on God for having him make us wait. So Peter reminds us, yes, God is a promise keeper. That's in the text. But he's got a different timetable and a different definition of slowness than we do. You know, I, I love that old story of the, the man who's having a conversation with God. The, the man said, God, how long is a million years to you? And God says, it's like a minute. And then he says, God, how, how much is a million dollars to you? And God says, well, it's like, you know, a penny. The man says, could you spare a penny? And God says, sure, in a minute. Sometimes that's how it feels, doesn't it? We love easy answers to our questions, quick solutions to our, our, our problems, but easy answers and quick solutions produce shallow convictions. Yeah, I, I think part of us just, we want easy miracles. We want miracles that we hardly have to wait for or pray for. But I wonder if one of the reasons that God is actually slower in our lives than we think he should be is because quick 
and easy produces shallow faith. The harder we have to work and the longer we have to pray, the more faith a miracle or a God story produces. This week, I've been thinking about how much I appreciate this church. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I've been pastoring here on staff for 24 years. But before I became a pastor, I was just a member. We, we attended here. This was our church. And I was thinking uh, this week how in the earliest years of, of Hillside, it got started about 27 years ago, there was a couple who decided to leave the church because of burnout, because they'd been hurt. This was a couple that Angel and I had a lot of affection for. And so we blessed them as they went, but we had the strong impression that this was not right, that they should be here. And interesting, independent of each other, Angel and I, we began praying them back. We prayed that God would bring them back, and so we prayed. And funny, we'd uh, bump into them every once in a while out in the community, and, and we'd have quick and great conversations, and from a, but from a simply human point of view, all evidence suggested that they would never return. But Angel and I would pray for them. We kept praying. We prayed for 10 years. It didn't make sense them coming back, but we kept waiting, and we kept praying. You, you know this, right? One Sunday, they showed up in one of our Sunday services. A month later, they showed up again, and they've never stopped coming. To us, they're, this is Brian and Arlene Dresser, by the way. I think they'd be okay with their names being out there. And to Angel and I, they're, they're more than just dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. They're kind of living, wonderful memorials of how God answers prayer. And sometimes through prayer that we have to wait through. And it's worth waiting. Friends, God never promised us easy I think some of us think God is just going to wave his wand and, and do miracles in our lives on demand. We're used to on demand in our day, are we not? But most miracles require us to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. It seems to be a bit of a principle. In the Old Testament, God promised David that he would be king of Israel. But some of you know the story. He'd spend 10 to 15 years leading and working and fighting towards that, this, this promise that God had given him. And, and, and we look, and scholars will tell you, if you look at the, the wilderness life in David, they were really preparation for his leadership, for his kingship. But I'm sure to David, it did not feel that way. It wasn't easy, but God fulfilled his promise to David. By the way, just an aside, I, I've seen this time and time again, and I've told you many times what God does in us while we wait is often actually more important than what we're waiting for. You know that? What God does in you while you're waiting is often a greater thing, a greater miracle than the miracle you're looking for. If we think it's going to be easy, we'll get discouraged. When God promised the Israelites the promised land, they had to work for it. They had to occupy the land. They had to, to plow it, to plant it, to harvest it, defend it. I think some of us expect miracles to just materialize, but we've got to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 7 uh, talks about what it would be like in the promised land. It says, the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, 
a land with wheat and barley, vine and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. And get this, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. I think there's a powerful principle in that last phrase. The miracle is buried somewhere. <laughs> you know, what, what we have to do is dig. God did not say there will be perfectly fashioned copper pipes and, and, and copper coins lying on the sidewalks in the promised land. He told them there'd be copper in the hills, but how would they get at it? They'd have to mine for it. They'd have, in a very literal way, they would have to dig for the promise. You see, waiting does not mean, you know, twiddling our thumbs, sitting around doing nothing. It means taking initiative, responding to the Holy Spirit, following God nudges like we talked about last Sunday. I think we as Jesus followers ought to be the most hopeful and optimistic people on the planet. We ought to live in a state of expectancy watching and waiting to see what God is going to do next in our world. So in Luke 2, there's uh, two uh, white-haired heroes I've grown to love, Simeon and Anna. And they're mature, maybe they're even elderly. They would probably leaned on canes to support themselves physically, but they were young at heart. And Luke 2.25 says this about Simeon. Now there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took the boy in his arms and praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice that second line. He was waiting. Uh, waiting means to, to wait with patience and confidence. It's, it's living with a sense of expectancy. That's what God's called us to do. And it, it's only possible as we focus on the promises of God. That's really what, what Simeon and Anna were doing. They, they had a promise from God of a coming Messiah. And they prayed and held on to that promise for years, I actually don't know if they were patient waiters or not, right? But it's certainly not the impression that we get. But in the end, they were not disappointed. All of Israel waited centuries for the Messiah to come, and at the appointed time, when it was, when it was the right time to God, God sent Jesus, the Messiah. I don't know about you, but I get discouraged when when uh, things don't happen according to my timeline. You know what I found? When I'm discouraged, it's usually because I've, I've zoomed in on something in my life I don't like. You know, I have an off day as a, a pastor or an off day as a husband, and I zoom in on it, and I feel like a failure because I was impatient. Or I zoom in on a, a missed opportunity in my life, and it feels like there's too many of those, and I feel regret. And here's what I have to do. I have to zoom out and, and remember that I'm in it for the long haul, that I am a work in progress. I have to take the long view. And it helps me keep things in perspective that God is not slow in keeping promises, even when it comes to changing me, as some understand slowness. 
But I think some of us, we get discouraged when God doesn't meet our deadlines. And one of two things happen. We either kind of seek to give up on the miracle, we get discouraged and stop believing, stop praying, stop hoping, or we try to manufacture the miracle on our own. A couple of thoughts. First, it is always too soon to give up on God. If we keep seeking and believing and waiting, God will come through. I want to just look for a couple minutes at 2 Kings chapter 5. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. But uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman uh, was the commander of the army of King Aram. And 2 Kings 5, 1 says, he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He had this severe skin disease. To make a long story short, the, the king of Aram sent him to Elisha, who was an Israelite, a prophet of God, and known as a healer. In 2 Kings 5, verse 9 reads, So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God to wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the, the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he went off, he turned and went off in a rage. I, I think it's so easy to fall in this kind of trap that Naaman fell into. We want the miracle to happen when we want the miracle to happen. And how? We develop very, I think, specific expectations of how we think God should do what he's going to do. And when it doesn't happen, when, when we, it doesn't happen how we want or when we want, we get frustrated. And this is exactly what happens to Naaman in this passage. He says, I thought... He would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Again, this is a lesson on not giving up too soon. Naaman is convinced by his servants to actually do what Elisha has asked him to do, but to really humble himself and to go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman finally relents, and he actually did what Elisha told him to do, and he's healed. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan River. And after a three-year drought, Elisha, Elijah, I should say, prayed for rain seven times before a cloud appeared on the horizon. The Israelites had to march around the city of Jericho seven times before the walls came down. And here's what I wonder. What if Naaman had only dipped himself in the water six times? What if Elijah had only prayed to the Lord six times? You know, what if the, the Israelites had only walked around the city of Jericho six, six times? I think they would have missed out on what God was going to do, and they would have given up too soon. You know, one of my uh, favorite passages on the, the value or, or the characteristic of persistence in prayer is in Daniel 10. Daniel has a vision from God, and he decided to fast. For three weeks, for, for Daniel, it felt like the, the heavens were shut for him. I, I often feel that way when I fast, by the way. 
I, I, I wonder why I'm fasting because it doesn't always feel like God is speaking to me any more clearly. But usually and eventually there's some kind of breakthrough that happens. For Daniel, it happens on day 21. On day 21, Daniel is visited by an angel. The angel says, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So that the prayer was heard the moment it was prayed, but it took 21 days for the prayer to be answered because why? Because of something kind of bigger than Daniel could understand was going on. There was spiritual opposition. It took that long because of spiritual realities and this bigger picture deal going on in the unseen realm. And sometimes, remember, uh, do you remember the theme of Revelation? The theme of the book of Revelation is, is you could put it, sum it up like this. There's more going on than meets the eye. You know, things are not entirely as they seem. But for Daniel, for 20 days, there's no understanding. And Daniel might have thought that all his fasting was accomplishing nothing but hunger pains, right? But Daniel 10, 14 says, Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. It took 20 days for Daniel to get clarity. We want clarity now, but sometimes we have to wait for the, the vision to make sense. Sometimes we have to wait for the promise to be fulfilled. Sometimes we have to wait for the miracle to happen. So the first, the first mistake is giving up. We quit praying on, on day nine. The second mistake is quitting too soon and trying to manufacture the miracle. I'll just briefly mention this, but the classic example of this is to do what Abraham did when it seems like God was taking too long in providing a son for him. Instead of waiting on God, Abraham takes matters into his own, own hands and sleeps with his handmaiden, uh, Sarah's handmaiden named Hagar. And that attempt to manufacture the miracle causes far more problems than it solves. And i got to tell you, my quick confession here is that I've seen this in my life and in my leadership. I, I, there's, there's these amazing moments in my ministry and in my life where I actually follow God's nudges and I do what he says. And then there's those times where I'm rash and in a hurry. I react. Um, I try to fix things myself. And i got to tell you, there's been consequences to that. Those are actually the things I regret in my life. Uh, New York pastor Jim Zimbala, in his book, uh, Fresh Faith, puts it this way. The hardest part of faith is often simply to wait. And the trouble is, if we don't wait, then we start to fix the problem ourselves, and that makes it worse. That's precisely what, what Abraham does. Zimbala says, we complicate the situation to the point where it takes God longer to fix it than if we had quietly waited for his working in the first place. So let's wrap this up this morning. Let me ask you today, where are you this morning? Are you, are you tempted to give up? What are you tempted to give up on? Uh, are you tempted to quit believing in God's promises? Most of us have been there. That's why there's, I'd say, strength to us 
doing this together. I think the fact that we set aside 10 days to seek God and to pray as a, as a community, I think this is something that will impact us for years to come. I think it's been an important season in the life of this church. But it's not like we've arrived. The, the journey and the adventure of faith is going to involve a lot more seeking, a lot more believing, and a lot more waiting. But we can do it together, so let's not give up. There are so many times, like I confessed last week, I'd like God to be my genie in the bottle, to grant this wish now, to be my on-demand God. But as we really seek him, the funny thing is, along the way, as we seek him, we discover that we can trust him. We discover that, that what he does in us while he, we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. And so we don't zoom in on our problems, we zoom out on the faithfulness and the character and the goodness of God, on how much greater God is and how God just knows better than we do. Sometimes there's stuff going on we don't get and we can't see. And he knows the best timing. And we come to know as we seek him that he's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. And so we can pray boldly like the prophet Habakkuk did. Lord Yahweh, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let's worship.